0: Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. Is Jesus Christ your first love today? Let's open to Revelation chapter 2 and see what the Word of God has for us. good morning and welcome to another teaching today is thursday what is it march 26th it's around 9 a.m in the morning here in texas hopefully everyone's doing well and uh just using this time with the uh with this coronavirus pandemic to draw closer to jesus we want to use this our time wisely and to uh you know, so many of us now, countless, really, everyone around the world, most of us, have more time than we've ever had. So, the best use of that time is to is to spend time with Jesus, and to uh, to grow in your relationship with Him, and to to grow in walking with Him, and knowing Him, and growing to know Him and His love, and uh, growing to love Him more. Obviously, there are still uh you know many many millions of people who are working around the world that are servicing us in all the different industries and in healthcare and uh you know and all the grocery stores and uh the, the people that are working in restaurant drive throughs so if you do have more time on your hands let's let's make a good use of it let's uh Let's start spending a little more time in our Bible, you know, just uh, studying the scriptures and meditating on the scriptures and growing and experiencing Jesus in a more intimate and tangible way uh, that we might live for him more. Um, Really, I've I've said this many times, uh, our entire life can be wrapped up if we will increasingly spend our time living for Jesus, loving for Jesus, giving for Jesus and forgiving for Jesus. If we can do those four things, um, we will be increasingly blessed and we will grow to know him more intimately, live for him more devoutly. So this morning we're going we're gonna to look at Revelation chapter 2 verses 1 through 7. Um, this is a text that I have spoken about before. How this came about is I was uh, I was praying with a sister of mine, Gwenda. She lives on the other side of the world in Singapore. And when she prayed, I was really blessed. I was moved because she prayed so sincerely that as a church, during this time of difficulty in the world, she prayed that may we return to our first love. That statement, that scripture is actually found here in Revelation chapter two verse 4. Jesus says, yet I hold this against you, you have forsaken your first love and and that really uh that really moved me, it convicted me and uh and her and I talked about it and uh, and here we are. So so we're going to we're going to go through this text in uh, Revelation chapter 2 verses 1 through 7. We're just going to study the word of God. And so let's invite the Lord in in prayer and uh be led by the Holy Spirit. Father, we do Thank you for this time. We thank you for your mercy and goodness on our lives, Father. Father, we thank you for your favor and your grace and your love, and we thank you for your patience with us, Father. Lord Jesus, we do ask you to reveal yourself to us in a in a new and intimate way, Lord, uh, through your word um, and particularly through this time in our world, Lord, that uh, we're dealing with this pandemic. Lord Jesus, uh, we pray for healing, Lord, for all those who are dealing with the coronavirus. We ask you to be with them, and we ask you to reveal yourself to them. Um, Lord, as a church, we ask you to, to help us uh, to return to our first love, to truly return to you, Lord, and loving you, and just uh, being excited about our relationship with you and walk with you, um, being dedicated to you in every aspect of our lives. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us and guide us now as we open the Word of God. We thank you and we praise you and we commit this time into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. So we're going to go ahead and read the scripture, Revelation 2, verses 1 through 7, and we'll get right into it. Verse 1, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name, and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. The first question we always ask ourselves when we come to the scriptures, and we say this every time, is why is this in the Bible? Why did Jesus, the Holy Spirit, why did our Heavenly Father include this in the Bible, in the Word of God? When we read and study these scriptures, we're reading and studying the very Word of God. And God chose to put this in here intentionally, and Romans 15 verse 4 says that everything that was written in the past was written to teach us or to instruct us, not just to tell us a story of what happened 2,000 years ago. It's, it's here to teach you and I and to instruct you and I. And 1 Corinthians 10 verses 6 and 11 say that these things are written down as examples to us. So Jesus is speaking here to the church in Ephesus, but you know he's speaking to all the churches in the United States, to all the churches in Singapore, to all the churches in England, to all the churches in Mozambique, to all the churches in all the continents, to all the churches in Australia, to all the churches in Europe, to all the churches in South America, to all the churches in North America, to all the churches in Africa, to all the churches in Antarctica, to all the churches in Asia, I think I named them all again. Um, verse one, to the angel of the church in Ephesus. So whatever your church's name is, you know, put your church's name in there. To the angel at Grace Church, to the angel at Sojourn Church, to the angel at Prestonwood Church. Just put your name in there, whatever your church's name is, because that's who he's writing to. Is sure he's he's writing to the church in Ephesus, he is certainly writing to our church. Um, Jesus tells John to write these things, verse 1, when he says to the angel of the church in Ephesus, uh, most scholars believe he's talking about uh, the leader or the pastor of the church in Ephesus, and he's speaking to us as leaders. For those of us who are leaders in the body of Christ, uh, he speaks to us first. Um, It's our responsibility first as leaders, and of course, as all of us as Christians Um, Jesus is speaking to us one and all, but as leaders, we carry a, a greater responsibility. Um, we have to, to live these things out first and then share them with others. Uh, Jesus does not approve of us exhorting others in things that, that we're not making any effort ourselves to do. So we want to be leaders who lead by example when we're encouraging and exhorting and teaching others to do things. And, and obviously, we're not perfect. We all fall short. Forgive us, Lord Jesus, and uh, help us, Lord, as leaders in the body of Christ, as pastors, as teachers, um, to truly uh, to set an example to the people and forgive us, Lord, where we've fallen short. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Jesus is is holding the stars, which represent the pastors or the leaders. He holds us in his hand. And it says that in his right hand, he holds us and he walks among the seven golden lampstands. And in the previous chapter, he says that the lampstands are the churches. And notice it says he walks among the seven golden lampstands. And as sure as Jesus was walking among the church of Ephesus, he's walking among us today. Jesus is consistently walking among us and, and seeing and hearing what we're saying and doing. And, and that's a sobering thought. You know, for me to, to meditate and realize that Jesus sees what I do and hears the things that come out of my mouth. Uh, that, that puts the fear of God in me a little bit because, frankly, I, I mean, I say some things I often shouldn't say. And Lord, I, I do ask you to forgive us, Lord. I ask you to, to help us to remember, Lord, that, that you do hear the words that come from our mouth and you see the things that we do. You walk among us, Lord. You walk among the churches, Lord. You walk, you walk among your people. Lord, help us to live soberly in light of the fact that you are walking among us, our king, our God, our husband. Lord, we're your bride. And help us to walk with you, Lord, even as you you walk with us. Um, Hebrews tells us that God will never leave us or forsake us in Hebrews 12. and Hebrews 13, verse 8, says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday. Today and forever. He'll never leave us and he, he will always walk with us. If we're Christians and we have truly received Jesus as our Savior and called on him to come into our heart and be the Lord of our life and save us from our sin, he's walking with you and he's walking with me. But we want to make sure we're walking with him. You know, sometimes I have times where I just go walking off on my own and doing my own thing. And uh, I want to walk with Jesus as he walks with me. You know, he's always walking with me, but uh, we can choose to kind of walk on our own and do our own thing and uh, forgive us, Lord, and help us to walk with you, Lord, even as you always walk with us. Now, because he walks with us, verse two, I know your deeds. Verse four words, I know your deeds. I mean, we were studying this in Bible study this morning. You know, we would all come together, we study it, and then i come come and, and record it, you know, why it's fresh in my mind. Jose said, read this verse like this. The verse says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles, but are not and have found them false. Jose said, you know, we ought to read it. I know your deeds, Jesus said. I know your hard work and I know your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men. I know that you have tested those who claim to be apostles and I know that you have found them false. Jesus knows. Uh, We talk about those three words all the time. I talk about on my brother, Matthew, that uh, God is omniscient. That means he, he knows everything. Jesus knows everything. The fact that he knows everything means he can't learn anything. It's pretty interesting. There's nothing Jesus can learn. Because he knows it all already. It's not like me, who's often obstinate. And therefore, I'm not learning. But he already knows it all. So he's incapable of learning. It's a pretty amazing thought. Because he's omniscient. He's also omnipotent. Omnipotent means... That he can do anything, God can do anything. God, the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all powerful. There's nothing they can't do. Nothing is impossible for God. Again, another very sobering thought. How do you even wrap your head, your head around it? There is nothing God cannot do. He's omnipotent. He's all powerful, and then he's also omnipresent which means he's everywhere at all times. Three words that can only refer to God. Omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent. And because of that, verse 2, I know your deeds. Jesus knows what we do. It's interesting that he says, I know your deeds. He doesn't say, I know what you believe. These are Christians. He's talking to a church here, and they're saved. This church is born again. They're Christians. And they're going to go to heaven when they die. But he's speaking to them now about their deeds, not about their belief system. Their belief system is sound. He says, I know your deeds. Your hard work. We talked this morning about hard work. And he's clearly speaking about their work ethic in the kingdom of God. And he actually says your hard work. Um, I don't know. We, uh, As we discussed this morning, we don't know exactly, you know, uh, per se what what hard work he's speaking of, except that they're working hard in the advancement of the kingdom of God. And what is our work ethic today? As a church, do we work hard to advance the kingdom of God? I believe we, we need some, some meaningful improvement in this. Um, I think we've gotten cavalier as leaders and as Christians in our work ethic in the advancement of the kingdom of God. And Jesus knows, and, and I don't believe he would say to most Christians today, I know your hard work. I think uh, that's a, a clear place of repentance for us where we can begin just each day, like my brother Jesse says, to find something new you can do. In the kingdom of God. Find something today you can do. To advance the cause of the gospel of Jesus. Find something today. Or a place where you can glorify Jesus. It can be anywhere. It can be in your work. It can be in a restaurant when they open. And you can just mention the name Jesus. You can just be talking to somebody. And say you know. Is Jesus blessing you today? And you'll be amazed at the atmosphere. So. Would Jesus say to you today, I, I know your your hard work, Mark. You know, would he say to you, I know your hard work, Mandy. Would he say that to you? You know, would he say, sir, I know your hard work, Rick. I know your hard work, Hugh. I, I, I think, would he say, John, I know your hard work, Jason. I, I know your hard work. I don't know. I, I think as I, when I look into my own heart that, uh, that, that hopefully I'm working. I know that I'm working in the advancement of the kingdom of God, but man, hard work, that's another thing. I know your deeds. I know your hard work and your perseverance. We looked up in the dictionary the word perseverance today, and that means continuing to, to press on even when there's difficulty or when you don't see any results. We want to make sure as Christians and as disciples, we're, we're persevering in the advancement of the kingdom of God, even when it doesn't appear like we're getting a lot of results. And uh, for most of us uh, that are leaders and those of us as Christians who are disciples that are working to, to truly help others walk with Christ, sometimes there can be seasons where it doesn't seem like there's, there's a lot of results. But this church of Ephesus right now is doing well when it comes to their work ethic. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men. I do believe we've gotten to a place in in the church today where where we we have a much greater tolerance for wickedness than we did in times past. Now, what is this talking about here? It's not talking about a Christian who's, who's struggling with an area of their life, but yet is convicted about it and you know has a heart to do better. They may have some bondages. Um, it's not talking about that. All of us as Christians have areas of our lives that we need improvement, where we need to repent. And that'll always be the case until Jesus takes us home jose sent me a text uh, this morning sent it to a lot of us that charles spurgeon had a famous quote that's saying a man who truly repents is never satisfied with his repentance that really blessed me you know it moved me because that individual that man or woman you know always wants to walk more intimately with jesus and more obediently with jesus now it's important we understand this has nothing to do with your salvation It has nothing to do with how God loves you. It's simply that you have a heart that you want to walk more obediently with him. Not so you can get anything. Not because you think God is going to love you more. But simply because you you want to love him and obey him more. Therefore, you always have this heart in you to repent over areas of your life that are out of place. This is not what Jesus is talking about when he says, I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men. When he says wicked men or wicked women, it are those who are living a completely ungodly lifestyle with no heart to change it. And if anyone is that, that is listening to this, hears that, if, if you're in that place where you just consistently disobey the word of God and you have no heart to change it, then you need to be, to really become a Christian today. He never calls believers wicked men. You need to give your life to Jesus Christ, and and you know what? All the bad habits don't go away overnight. Surely mine have not. As you walk with Jesus, as you give yourself to him, and you receive him as your Lord and Savior, uh, he'll begin to work the kinks out, and the problems out, and the disobediences out, and you'll spend the rest of your life in this process called sanctification, uh, sanctification is your increasing holiness and Christ-likeness, becoming more and more like Jesus in this life. But you have to be saved first. You have to receive him as your Lord and Savior. If you haven't received him as your Lord and Savior, then, then simply pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, I confess I'm a I'm a sinful person. I believe that you lived a perfect life for me and died a perfect death for me. And I believe, Lord Jesus, that you're alive and risen Therefore, Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart and to be the Lord of my life and to save me from my sin and to bring me to heaven when I die. I place all my faith and trust and hope in you alone to save me, Lord Jesus, and to be my everlasting Lord and God. If you prayed that prayer, Jesus has honored it and he's come into your heart and you've you've been saved and God is now your father and Jesus is your Lord and your friend and your master and your king. And now you'll begin this process of sanctification, which is growing to be more like Jesus in everything. Growing to not do the things the Bible says not to do and growing to do the things the Bible has called you to do. Thank you, Lord. So we want to make sure we don't tolerate wickedness. And again, that is that if there are people in our lives and they claim to be Christians and they're in our churches and they have no desire for Jesus whatsoever, no desire to act and love Jesus whatsoever, no desire to spend time with Jesus whatsoever, then then we we don't want to tolerate that. We want to draw them and, and, and exhort them to give their lives to Christ and to begin to live for them. This is not talking about worldly people. You remember when Paul said in 1 Corinthians um, chapters 5 and 6, he, he says, you know, people of the world, people who don't know Jesus, this is just the only way they know to act. But a believer that claims to know Jesus but has no desire whatsoever to know him or to walk with him or to obey him and lives completely contrary to the Bible in every aspect of their lives uh, they need to be exhorted in Christ and not tolerated. And again, I want to reiterate, this is not someone who struggles with a particular area of their life uh, or struggling with a particular sin and, and knows it's not the will of God, but but truly wants to do better and and knows that they're going to have to give an account of God to their life. Um, this is not the, that person, okay? We are all in a process of of repentance, of consistent repentance, or or we should be. He says that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. And there's a meaningful principle in here. You have tested those who claim to be apostles. Um, If someone is claiming authority in your life based on a title, They immediately need to be tested. What am I saying? No one should say to you, you need to obey me because I'm a pastor. No one should say to you, you need to do what I say because I'm a teacher. No one should say to you that I have authority because I'm the pastor here or, you know, uh, I'm the teacher here or apostle or prophet or evangelist, right? There is no authority based on titles. Jesus isn't impressed with our titles. I have a title here in this ministry. I'm a pastor and a president. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. No one should just step into your life and claim authority based on a title. I remember when I was brand new to the church 22 years ago, I had good church fathers who used to tell me, you know, John, someone has as much authority in your life as they have relationship. You have authority in someone's life and someone has authority in my life based on our relationship, based on the time that they give you. And even in that, the only authority they have is based on the word of God and the heart of God. People don't have authority over you in themselves. It's only in the word of God. The authority you and I have in each other's lives is to exhort one another in the scriptures to walk with Jesus, to love Jesus, to know Jesus, to repent in Jesus. If someone has given you instructions that are not grounded in the scriptures, they have no authority at all. All authority is in the scriptures. No one has any authority that's contrary to the scriptures. I was very blessed in, uh, in my early life. I had a I had one of I had actually my first spiritual father, Father Rick, reach out to me this week and i was uh, I was so blessed and uh you know just just to hear from him and uh and I love you sir and uh and I thank you, Lord, for the time you've given me. He has authority in my life because he gave me his time, and he loved me, and he always encouraged me and exhorted me to what he believed God was calling in my life. That's what spiritual parents do. They give their time to their children. And, uh, and seasons come and go, but they always make time for their spiritual sons and daughters. Someone who has authority in your life, it's not based on a title. They need to be willing to give you their time. And that's a, a spiritual father or a spiritual mother has a true heart for their children. But these people were coming into Ephesus, into the church, and they were claiming that they were apostles. They were claiming that they should be listened to and adhered to and even obeyed because they were given the title of apostle. And Jesus commends them for testing them. You've tested those who have this claim of authority. So again, They didn't just dismiss them. If someone's claiming authority or someone says, I have a word for you, or someone says, you know, I believe Jesus is saying this, then you test it. And how you test it is you make sure it's consistent, number one, with the Bible. There is no word that's contrary to the scriptures. If someone comes into your life and claims that they need to be listened to, it's because they're telling you things that are consistent with the scriptures that are in the scriptures consistent with the heart of the scriptures, the Lord of the scriptures and the God of the scriptures. They're consistent with Jesus and what he did and what he said. And you know what you can come into my life and tell me those things and I'll receive it. That's the authority we have. A word on spiritual authority here. Again, these people were claiming authority. Now, If someone is exhorting you and they are doing it in the scriptures and it's clear that they have a heart for Christ, that they walk for Christ, then they're a leader in the kingdom of God based on these things, then you know what? Listen to them. But here's an interesting quality that you find in these scriptures. That these leaders were tested. We find today that many church leaders, they they don't want to be tested. They just... They just want to have authority based on their title. If you truly have authority from the Lord, you may think you have it. But if you truly have it, and if I have it, then then we'll be willing to be tested based on the scriptures. We'll be willing to be tested. We'll answer questions based on the word of God. Now again, what am I saying here? I'm not saying go out. And start testing everybody that calls themselves a pastor. I'm simply saying that someone who has authority in your life is willing to give you their time. Again, the statement I was taught when I was a brand new Christian. You only have as much authority in someone's life as you have relationship. Brother Doug used to say that. Thank you, sir. Father Rick used to say that. Thank you, sir. And so I'm not saying go out and just start arbitrarily testing everybody. But if someone genuinely has spiritual authority, they'll be humble enough and willing for you to to ask them questions. But when you ask them questions, they need to be in the scriptures and about the scriptures and related to the scriptures and about the heart of God and the will of God and the ways of God. Because if it's not in the Bible, then it's, it's useless for you to ask or for them to hear it. But they should be tested on where they are in the scriptures. And if you find them true, then you know what? Be in fellowship with them. Then listen to them if they're exhorting you in the scriptures. Listen to me and me, you. But Jesus commends them for testing these people. And so that's a meaningful principle. And in this case, they found them false. They found that they didn't adhere to the word of God. They didn't adhere to the truth of God. And when you test people if they don't adhere to the true word of God, to the scriptures, to Jesus, to the heart of God, the will of God, and the ways of God, and the true gospel of God, the genuine gospel of salvation, then they're false. And they may not even know it. You may have to test them, find them false, and love them to the truth by giving them the genuine gospel, the genuine word of God. Someone may come to you with authority and you may be the authority in their life. (laughs) Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Verse three, you have persevered and have endured hardships from my name and have not grown weary, man. um, Have you had seasons of weariness in your life? just had seasons where you're persevering in your walk with Jesus and you're enduring hardships, but you're growing weary. Lord Jesus, we ask you to help us. I know there are millions of us of Christians, Lord, who truly have grown weary at times, Lord. We may even be in a weary time now. Lord, we ask you to help us to be like our brothers and sisters back in Ephesus that persevered in walking with you, that endured hardships for your name. And that didn't grow weary. Lord, refresh us now. Holy Spirit, come and refresh us now, one and all, from our weariness. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Verse 4. And here it turns. Verse 4. It's a short verse. And uh, these first six words. Yet I hold this against you. Yet I hold this against you. You know, I don't know why Jesus has to talk to us in this way. I like those first verses. You notice he was very affirming in those verses. He was very encouraging. And we can see a pattern here of of spiritual maturity. We can can see a pattern here of, of how we ought, as leaders in the body of Christ, how we ought to, how we ought to come. To fellow believers in our exhortation, you notice he just doesn't start out with only rebuke. He starts out first telling them things they've done well. And that's an example to us as leaders. We ought not come to people and only tell them everything they've done wrong. Jesus has complimented them four or five times here, six times, in different ways. Their deeds, their hard work, their perseverance, they can't tolerate wicked men, they test those who claim to be apostles, they've persevered, they've endured hardships, they don't grow weary. He, he, he tells them the things they're doing well. But then he also will tell them what they haven't done well. And I think we can often get into an imbalance. Sometimes in the church, we can, all we talk about is grace. All we do is tell people how wonderful they are and how the grace of God is on them, and, and we don't exhort them. We, we give them a, an imbalanced message. We only talk about salvation. We never talk about sanctification. Uh, what is it? John 1, 17. The law came through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. We need grace and truth. Grace first. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. This not of yourselves, the gift of God, not of works so that no one can boast. Ephesians 2, right? Verse 8 and 9. It's grace first, but it's also truth. And so we need to extend grace, but we also need to exhort people in the truth. It's both. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. I believe that's the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 17. So you notice he tells them first the things they've done well, but then he will also tell them what's out of place. And again, I was... You know, I've, I've been blessed to have spiritual fathers in my life that have certainly done this to me. Matter of fact, they might have told me more often what was is, what is out of place. Y'all didn't compliment me enough. I like compliments. I like it when you tell me how wonderful I am. But they seem to refrain on that a little bit too often. Now, again, uh, these are wonderful men. And again, thank you, Father Rick, for your wonderful encouragement and exhortation just this week. But just a side note, I like compliments, but I probably need uh, exhortation. Verse 4, Jesus said, yet I hold this against you. That's, that's a pretty uh, sobering statement again, pretty serious. Yet I, yet I hold this against you. Uh, <laughs> I mean, Jesus talks like, like he's the one paying And I guess he did pay with his life on the cross and his shed blood, right? He's the boss. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. Six words, yet I hold this against you. And here it is, Gwenda. You have forsaken your first love. That's the whole verse. Twelve words, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. What does this mean? They are doing the deal and he's pleased with it. He compliments them. He compliments them in it. They're working hard. They're persevering. They're testing people who claim to have titles. They're enduring hardships. They're not growing weary. And yet somehow they have done all these things and forsaken their first love. We can be very active in the church. We can be very active in church activity. But we can do it without a heart or a love for Jesus, apparently, because these people are, are, are doing and serving the kingdom of God, but we can get to a place where, where we get off track, where we start serving the church instead of serving Jesus. I can get to a place where I'm serving our ministry kingdom discipleship and I'm not serving Jesus. I can start doing things to advance the church and not the kingdom of God. I can start doing things to advance my ministry and not the gospel of Jesus Christ. I can forsake my first love. And I know that i have at times lord jesus i i ask you to forgive us one and all we we have forsaken our first love lord those of us as believers and as leaders and as pastors teachers apostles prophets and evangelists lord forgive us where well, we're doing the work you've called us to do but our heart is not right lord it was right at one time lord but where we've gotten off track You have, not you might, you have forsaken your first love. Now there's going to be incredible news in this next verse because we get to repent. And As I said last week, my boy Gabe, the greatest tool in our toolbox is that we can repent. We're going to learn here in the next three verses, there's only three verses left here, That Jesus is not as much concerned with what you've done wrong, but with your willingness to repent of what you've done wrong. Are you willing to repent where you have fallen short? Because that's what Jesus is concerned with. Are we in a place today where we're, 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 We're active in our church, and that's wonderful. And you should be. Where we're going to Bible studies. Where we're listening to teachings like this or anywhere else. But yet you kind of got it on autopilot. Your zeal and desire and excitement for Jesus himself has kind of faded a little bit. Sister Gwenda prayed, Lord, let us at this time return to our first love. and The reason we got to return is we, we've forsaken it. I don't know why Jesus has to use such hard language. I want to be talked to nicely, Lord, and you're, you use such firm language here, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. You know, why can't he tell me, you know, John, you've gotten a little off track here. You need to kind of work your way It seems like Jesus is so clearly firm. doesn't seem he is. Twelve words, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Lord, this whole, I was liking these verses. Everything was nice, but now you got to tell me what I'm doing wrong. Lord, I like it when you tell me how much you love me and how pleased you are with me and how wonderful I am, but I don't know about all this holding stuff against me. Apparently, Jesus is consistently telling us exactly what we need to hear in the Word of God. If you read the four Gospels, everywhere he goes, he's correcting people. How do you walk up to 20,000 people you don't know and say, repent? Apparently, he does know them and knows that there's, there's wrong belief and wrong actions and wrong thoughts and words in all of their lives. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Now, it's important, this this is really an important observation. Several people have said to me, you know, John, I don't know if I ever had a first love. And that could, and the answer is the same. We get to repent. Can you remember a time in your life where you were just more excited about Jesus? Many people, when they first get saved, they're just, they're zealous for Christ. They're excited about Jesus. They're... They're telling everybody about Jesus, and then somehow we, I don't know, we grew up and we stopped talking about Jesus so much. We we weren't as excited about Jesus. We're still doing the deal. We're still going to church and listening to sermons and going to Bible study, but we're not that excited about Jesus anymore. Lord, forgive us. So many of us perhaps have forsaken our first love, like the, the, the Christians in Ephesus, Ephesus, even the leaders in Ephesus. As pastors, we're on the front line, and how often have we done this? Or perhaps Jesus was never your first love. Either you were never saved, or you're never born again, and you never really invited him into your heart, or you were, really, you were saved, but you've never really been that excited about Jesus. Either way, verse 5 Is for us. Verse 5, remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Remember the height from which you have fallen. In order to remember, we have to think back. You can't remember forward. You have to think back. Remember the height from which you were fallen. The height. Remember when you were at your highest point of walking with Jesus and loving Jesus and talking about Jesus and giving to Jesus and just forgiving everybody because that's what Jesus would have you to do and you didn't hold nothing against anybody and just you were, you were excited. Is that where you are today? If it is, keep rolling then you don't need to repent because you haven't forsaken your first love. But if there, if there was a height in your life and you're not there now, a time when you were living for Jesus, loving for Jesus, giving for Jesus, and forgiving for Jesus, and you're really not doing those things that much now, but you're doing the deal, but you know what? You don't really have the heart for Jesus. He's not really your first love anymore. Because Netflix is your first love, or Facebook, or Instagram, or Snapchat, or television. Or maybe church is your first love. Our first love is Jesus. Not church. Not going to be any church buildings in heaven. We're not going to have any denominations in heaven. Jesus isn't going to separate us all out. We're not going to have the Baptists over here, and the Catholics here, and the Presbyterians over here and the Methodists over here, all those who are truly saved and know Jesus, we're going to be one body, and, uh, and we're not one body today. Um, we, we have very little unity in the body of Christ, and hence why we have little power compared to the, the church of, of Acts. When you look back at the power they walked in, you could see a fully active lampstand. and We'll get into that in a little bit. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Remember back to those times where you were zealous about Jesus. And if you were never there, then just say, Lord, I want to have those times where I'm just excited about you. I'm so excited about the forgiveness of my sin. Lord, help me to just love you and show you that by my devotional life, by how I want to spend time with you. If, if you truly love someone, if Jesus is your first love, you want to hang out with him. You want to spend time with him. You want to praise him and worship him and adore him and thank him. You want to spend time in his word, reading his word, and meditating on it and memorizing it, nourishing yourself in the word of God. You do want to go to church and spend time with other believers not only in church, but out of church, you want to, you want to meet with brothers and talk about Jesus. How much do you just meet with other believers spontaneously and just talk about Jesus? Cause Jesus is your first love. If that's not where you are today, then repent. Verse five, repent and do the things you did at first. Were there times where you were like that, where you were doing those things, where your spontaneous love for Jesus was just showing up wherever you went? You were beaming the cross of Christ. You were talking about Jesus. You were walking with Jesus. You were giving for Jesus, not only your money, but your time and your talents. And you were forgiving for Jesus. You didn't hold nothing against nobody. You didn't have no time for that. You forgave everybody. You didn't have frustration or bitterness or anger in your heart against anybody. Because Jesus is your first love. He exhorts us here. Repent and do. You notice he don't say please. You know, he, you know, there's three words I never hear God say in the Bible. I never hear him say please. I never hear him say thank you. and I never hear him say I'm sorry. He, he wants me to do all those things all the time. I guess he doesn't say please because he doesn't need me for anything guess he doesn't say thank you because he could have done it all himself. He doesn't say I'm sorry because he never did anything wrong. I need to consistently use all of those words. We do. Repent and do the things you did at first. Let's get back to living for Jesus, loving for Jesus, giving for Jesus, and forgiving for Jesus. And let's do it in the name of Jesus consistently as Christians, I'll hear them say the word God a hundred times and never say the word Jesus. Now, yes, if you're a Christian, obviously I know that you know that Jesus is God, but other people don't know that. If you want to say, when you pray in public, replace the word God with the name Jesus. You can walk into a place and say, God bless you. Everyone say, God bless you. God bless you. You walk in and say, is Jesus blessing you? And time stops because now you've made it real specific. Every religion has the word God. Only Christianity has the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who gave his life for you and me, who died for you and me, who lived the perfect life for you and me, who was raised from the dead and interceding for you and me. Jesus, Jesus. If you just walk around saying the name Jesus throughout the day, wherever you are, Uh, the world will change. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I'm sorry I got a little worked up there. My heart's beating a little fast. Repent and do. Repent and do. You notice again, he's not talking about their belief system. Their belief system is sound. Sound. If you're trusting in Jesus Christ right now as your Lord and Savior. If you know God is your Father, if you know there's nothing you can do to have God love you more, then your belief system is right. Jesus now is speaking to the church about, about our actions, and he wants us to do the deal, but he wants us to do it with him at the center. John the Baptist said, "I must become more, He must become less." That's certainly true in my life. There's too much John in me. I need more Jesus and less John. More Jesus and less John. I was in Mozambique and we were, we were, uh, we did a whole trip, Armando and Ezekiel. We did a whole, we did, I don't know how many times. I mean, they, they worked me to the bone, Armando. I don't know what it was. I think it was, I don't know, 35 times or something in 10 days, traveling all around that country. I was teaching and you need two translators generally. One to go from English to Mozambique. I'm sorry. One to go from English to Portuguese. One from Portuguese to whatever the Bush dialect is. But the whole theme was mash Jesus. Mash Jesus. More Jesus. I think that's right in Portuguese, right? More Jesus. Lourdes. More Jesus Gina. More Jesus Deborah, Benny, and Simona. More Jesus. We need more Jesus. We want to do what we do, but we want to do it in the name of Jesus. Not in the name of church. Not in the name of our ministry. Certainly not in our own name. Do you end your prayers in your name? Do you end your pray and say, I pray all this in Gwenda's name. Pray all this in Judy's name. I pray all this in Stephen's name. I pray all this in Jordan's name. I pray all this in Nicholas' name. No. You pray in Jesus' name. So we don't only pray in Jesus' name. Do your deeds. Verse 2, I know your deeds. Do them in Jesus' name with a heart for Jesus. I know your hard work. You got to do it for a heart for Jesus and advancing his kingdom. Not your own kingdom or the kingdom of the church. The kingdom of God. I know you cannot tolerate wicked men because Jesus can't tolerate them. You want to do things with a heart for Jesus. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you never did them, then start doing them. And then the second half of verse five, here he goes again. I don't know why he's got to talk to me this way if you do not repent. I don't know why you got to give me an ultimatum, Lord. I don't like ultimatums. I don't know why he's got to talk to me this way. I like to be talked to nicely. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. I don't believe there's a full and complete lampstand left anywhere in the world today. You know, I believe there are degrees of the lampstand and I'll, and I'll get into what I mean here. What does it mean to remove your lampstand from its place if you don't repent? If you don't have Jesus at the forefront of your church, if you don't have unity as a body of Christ and having Jesus as your first love I'm going to remove the lampstand and again I believe the lampstand has been taken there's an individual lampstand, you have a lampstand yourself and there's a corporate lampstand and Jesus won't allow it to be prostituted the lampstand gives light the lampstand burns oil anointing, oil represents anointing anointing power And Jesus won't allow it to be misused. He expects his anointing and his power and his light to be used with the right heart. He expects it to be used with him at the forefront, advancing him and his kingdom and his gospel, not me and my kingdom and my church and my ministry. If you do not repent, I'll come and remove your lampstand from its place. The buildings are still there. Church buildings can remain. The seats or the pews can remain. The pulpits can remain. The coffee stands can remain. But the lampstand is removed. Now, you know there may be some churches that have part of the lampstand left. And again, this is my view on this. Because you do see some churches walking in some power. You don't see any walking into power that the early church did. And remember, here's a church, you know, this is, uh, this is sometime around 80, 90 AD, right? This, this church, this church at one time had the Apostle Paul as its pastor. It had a lampstand. It had Apollos at one time as its pastor. What did it say about Apollos? It said Apollos in Acts 19 was mighty in the scriptures. Yeah, mighty in the scriptures. Let that be said of you, that you were mighty in the scriptures, Tom. Wow. Apollos was mighty in the scriptures. He was the pastor of Ephesus at one time. It had the lampstand. Timothy was the pastor. The Apostle John was the pastor. But now, these leaders aren't the same as those. And I don't believe we are the same leaders that those men I just mentioned were. But the good news is we can repent and we can get it back. Because what we learn here is that the reason the lampstand's taken is not because of what they've done. It's because they won't repent. So let's repent today as a body of Christ. Let it start with us individually. And as a church, let's repent that we can get that anointing back, that power back. We do have a certain anointing and power just from Jesus living in us and the Holy Spirit living in us. And there's no doubt of that. But when Jesus is your first love, that anointing and power is exponentially more powerful and even more when we're in unity. And regrettably, we we do not have unity as a body of Christ. Forgive us, Lord. Or we have failed in unity. What do we have? 1,100 different denominations? Does that sound like unity? Can we just get back to the Bible, the word of God? And having Jesus at the forefront. Loving him. And knowing his love for us. And living in that. And teaching his word. And obeying his word. You know, 1,100 denominations. There won't be any in heaven. None. I understand that we have ministries now, and we have churches now, and these things serve a purpose, uh, and they do. And because we're messed up here on earth, they help us to, to do certain things and to have certain organization, and it is and it is helpful in certain ways, but we're not gonna have that in heaven. It's given to us as a compromise, really. It's not Jesus' heart. We have 1,100 different denominations and all these little buildings everywhere. Yes, he, in his mercy, he uses us. And he uses the church building. And that's wonderful. And in the individual churches, if they're solid, Bible-based churches with Jesus at the center, then, then, then they're wonderful. But it's not his heart that we have this lack of unity. To remove the lampstand is to remove light. Jesus said, I give you eyes that see and ears that hear, and he expects us to use them. He gives us power, he gives us anointing. That's what a lampstand does. And he'll remove it, and he has removed it. And I believe there are degrees to the lampstand that we have personally in our own lives. You'll see some Christians walking in more power than others. But there's nothing like a fully powerful church, an entire body walking in unity, And that's what we saw in the early church and we saw what could happen. I don't believe God has changed. I don't believe in the cessationism or dispensationalism. That God has changed. That's why we don't see healings anymore. That's why we don't see people moving in power. I don't think it's, I don't think it's God's fault. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13, eight, he hasn't changed. I'm the problem. I'm the problem. Not him. If we could ever get to a place where we could do what he says here, I believe he'd bring the lampstand back. We'd have revival in this world like we've never seen, and Jesus would return. Come, Lord Jesus. Man, how nice it would be if he could come before I stop talking here. If you do not repent, once again, he's given us an ultimatum. The good news is we can repent, help us, Holy Spirit, to repent, help us to repent and make Jesus our first love, Gwendo. Verse six, but you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Isn't it interesting? Like Josh said this morning, it's a nice little sandwich. He starts out by encouraging them. Then he points out in verses four and five the areas they need improvement. He rebukes them, but then he'll finish on a, a positive note. But you have this in your favor, and let's let that be an example to us as leaders and as pastors when we're encouraging Christians. Let's let's encourage them. Then let's exhort them to the areas of their life that need improvement and repentance. And then let's leave loving on them and encouraging them again. Verse 6, but you have this in your favor. You hate the practice of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. It's a pretty serious verse. Jesus encourages these believers for hating certain practices. And he says he hates them. Who are the Nicolaitans? The Nicolaitans were a group of people who said... You need to receive Jesus, receive God's grace, receive God's love, but you don't need to live for him at all. They they were people that said whatever feels good is fine. They completely perverted the gospel. They they said that you, you receive God's grace, you get saved, but God doesn't mind you living in completely gross immorality. You can have completely gross sexual immorality. You can lie, cheat, steal, whatever you want to do. If it feels good, then it's of God. Jesus said, I hate it. And regrettably, that spirit is alive and well in our churches today in many ways. As believers in Jesus Christ, we want to call the word of God the word of God. God hates immorality. He hates lying. He hates stealing. He hates sexual perversion. He hates sexual immorality. He hates lust. He hates all of these things. He loves you unconditionally. But we want to begin to hate these things and repent over them. So again, this is not talking about a believer who's in bondage or is struggling and, man, I really want to get out of that, and, and a believer who's convicted when he has sin in his life or she has sin in her life. That's not what this is talking about. These are people who saying, God doesn't mind anything I do. These are the practices of the Nicolaitans. And Jesus said, I hate it. You want to be the type of believer that says, everything the word of God says is true And I'm failing in some areas and I'm grieved over it and I'm repenting over it. And that's what the scriptures teach us to be as repentant believers, right? Convicted over the things that are out of place, knowing it, coming to God in our heart for it. You don't deny the truth of the scriptures. The Nicolaitans wanted to accept the truth of Jesus as their savior, but when it came to lifestyle... Jesus will allow me to do whatever feels good at any time. That's not what the Bible teaches. There's an incredible principle that we always want to remember, Melanie, right? You don't read the Bible and then make every effort to make the Bible fit your life. You want to read the Bible and make every effort to make your life fit the Bible. Make sense? You don't want to try any way you can to twist the scriptures so that they give you license to do what you want to do and believe what you want to believe. You want to do all you can to actually believe what the scriptures say and live like the scriptures tell you to live and just repent where you're not doing that. Again, you don't make the Bible fit your life. You work to make your life fit the Bible. And finally, verse seven, he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Who is he that has an ear? Who is she that has an ear? If you listen to this today and it makes sense to you and you're convicted and you say, man, I want Jesus to be my first love. I want to just be living for Jesus, loving for Jesus, giving for Jesus and forgiving for Jesus. If you listen to this and you're convicted, then you have an ear to hear what Jesus is saying to the churches. What he's saying is what he just said. It's not some special mythical thing. It's what he just wrote. Remember when I said, why is this in the Bible? It's in here to teach us Romans 15, 4. It's in here as an example to us. First Corinthians 10 verses 6 and 5. I'm sorry, verses 6 and 11. You have an ear to hear if you understood this message. If you read these verses, you're convicted by them, you're encouraged by them, and you want to leave growing and live for Jesus, then you have an ear to hear what the Spirit says to the churches. If you want to repent and have Jesus as your first love, doing everything you do in the kingdom of God, in the body of Christ, and in your church with Jesus at the forefront. We can be in church and have no Jesus at all. Or you can be in church and out of church and have Jesus as your first love. And if that's what you want, then you have an ear to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. You know, it's it's notice it's plural churches, plural. It starts to the church in Ephesus. And that's an example to all of us. Here it says the churches, is all the churches in the history of the world. This is for all of us at all times, as are all the seven churches. Finally, to him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. The question here is, who's an overcomer? Well, of course, it's someone who's saved. Of course, an overcomer is someone who's received Jesus as their Savior and Lord. You cannot overcome anything without that. But I believe it's clearly more than that. To him who overcomes, he just told them, I don't know, how 30 words ago, a verse and a half ago, to repent. So an overcomer is clearly someone that does what Jesus told them to do. You cannot hear this message and say, you know what, Jesus is not my first love, never has been, but I'm not repenting, you're not an overcomer. An overcomer is someone who actually does what Jesus told him to do. He's told us here to remember the height from which we've fallen, remember when Jesus was your first love, And to repent and do the things we did at first, to the best we can. This is not talking about your salvation. This is not talking about going to heaven. You don't get saved by repenting and doing anything. You get saved, not by doing, but by believing and receiving Jesus as your Lord and Savior. There's nothing you can do to be saved. Nothing you can do to be unsaved. Salvation is not about what you do or don't do. Your salvation, the forgiveness of your sins... God being your father and going to heaven is all about what Jesus did and you believing and receiving that into your heart and praying to receive him as we talked earlier. So to him who overcomes, an overcomer is going to be someone who's actually going to do what Jesus has has told him to do here. To think about, is Jesus your first love? And to begin to do everything in the name of Jesus. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Man, where does it say that? I think it's Colossians 3.17, but I could be wrong. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. To him who overcomes, let's be overcomers today. And just repent where Jesus hasn't been our first love. It's that time, Gwenda. right? It's It's such a good time. The Lord allows difficulties in our lives personally and difficulties in our world corporately so that we will repent and come back to Jesus and put him at the forefront of our lives, of our homes, of our ministries, of our churches, to put Jesus at the front of everything with a heart to magnify him and not myself or my ministry or my church. To him who overcomes, I will give the right. I will give the right. It's Jesus who gives you the right to anything. It's because of Jesus, you and I have the right to breathe. It's because of Jesus, we're going to have the right to go to heaven. It's because of Jesus, we have the right to not go to hell. If you'll receive him today. To him who overcomes, I will give the right. I mean, just look at the way this guy talks. Yet I hold this against you. If you do not repent, I will come. He just talks like he's the one paying. I said that before, right? Jesus is God. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. He's the master of everything. He could stop this virus with a word, quiet, be still, and it would end. But again, he wants to use this time in our world to draw millions to him, if not billions. And then he could come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. You know, that's how the Bible ends. The last chapter of this book, Revelations 22, the last verse says, come, Lord Jesus. Lord, we pray you would come. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Obviously, this is speaking first off to the tree of life that's that's going to be in the next life in heaven and we will as overcomers you know we're not all going to have the same reward in heaven you know we can get to heaven just by escaping the flames first corinthians 3 we've received jesus and we're saved but but we don't repent he's not our first love and then you're not going to have the same reward in heaven as someone who's also re- received jesus as their savior but They've taken time to live for him and to love for him and to give for him and to forgive for him. And they live their lives with Jesus as their first love. The judgment seat of Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, we, none of us have the same reward in heaven. You don't get to heaven by what you do. Not a bit. But your reward in heaven will be entirely based on how you lived for Christ and loved for him and gave for him and forgave for him. So that's clear nothing you do none of your works will help you get to heaven not a bit you get to heaven only and completely by trusting in what jesus has done but your reward in heaven how you experience heaven how you eat from the tree of life how intimately you know jesus in heaven your position in heaven are you going to be a private in heaven or a general if i'm a private in the united states army I'm in the army, but if Gwenda's a general, if Father Rick's a general, we don't have the same experience in heaven, do we? We're both in, but the experience is different. If you go to a football game, everybody's in the game, but the person sitting on the first row has a little different experience than the person in the back row. To an overcomer, you'll have the right to eat from the tree of life. And dare I say that there's an application of this in this life as well. Of course, we're going to eat from the tree of life in heaven. But you know what? I think Jesus would would offer us to eat from this tree of life in this life as well. I want to start eating of that tree of life right now. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your mercy and goodness on our lives. Father, we ask you to continue to lead us and to guide us into your truth, Father, into the truth of the word of God. Lord, we thank you for these principles here today. We thank you that it's not what we're doing wrong that you're concerned with, but if we repent. So help us to be a repentant church today in any areas of our life that we need to repent, beginning where Jesus is not our first love. Lord Jesus, we ask you to help us. We need help. I need help to repent and to make you my first love more and more every moment of every day of my life, wherever I am and with whomever I'm with. Holy Spirit, lead us and guide us today. Holy Spirit, we ask you to to bring our world to repentance during this time of coronavirus. We ask you to use it to bring millions and billions to faith in Jesus Christ and to help us as believers and disciples to spend our lives with Jesus as our first love, living for him, loving for him, giving for him, and forgiving for him. Jesus, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you, and we commit this time into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. For more information about our ministry, please visit www.kingdomd.org.